And for the last time, we can say, Merry Christmas. That'd be the last time we hear it here, probably, for the remainder of this year. Uh, how many of you all have taken down your Christmas tree already? We did last night. It's on the curb. We needed the space in our house. How many of you are already on your New Year's resolution plan already? I'm done eating sugar for a while. I told Anya, February 14th, Valentine's Day, that's the next time. i got to take a break. So, yeah, Merry Christmas for sure. So you might be looking in the outline, and you might be thinking, really? This is how we're going to end 2019? Talking about suffering? What a Debbie Downer. Like, really? This is how we're going to end it. And as we end this year, I am keenly aware of all the suffering going around our church family. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we as pastors kind of hang near the back, and we think through, pray through, and just observe who's here. And a couple weeks ago, I was actually sitting in this back corner, and I was overwhelmed in this one wing, the amount of suffering that was going on in this one wing that particular morning. And then I started looking over here, and then I started looking over here, and I know that most of you are pretty uh, unaware of what other people are going through, um, but there was a whole lot of suffering in the one wing that I could just recall of what people were going through. And I know that our suffering doesn't usually compare to maybe perhaps what we think suffering is around the world, or we think that our suffering doesn't compare to what others are facing. And so we have a tendency to kind of push it under the rug and not really uh, glean the benefit that God has intended for us. And uh, when I say suffering in the church family, I'm not just saying one or two or even a handful, uh, but it's all over our church family. And so I started making a list of what I would describe as types of suffering. And I want to encourage you not to, as if the Lord reveals the type of suffering in your life, don't, don't sweep it under the rug or don't shrug it off because there's somebody going through intense suffering over in some faraway country, but it's where you're at right now. Cancer is rampant in our church family. It's not one or two, it's dozens of you right here. And then the next service, um, spiritually struggling kids, adult kids, teenage kids, growing stress in your uh, finances. Some of you are on fixed income in the later stages of life, and so you feel a sense of this urgency and tightness and finances. Some of you have uh, failing marriages. I know some of you actually have health issues that doctors can't put their finger on, and it's your strong one appointment to the next, not knowing what's going on. Conflict. I know some of you are dealing with bouts of ongoing significant depression. I know that some of you actually, because of your faith in Christ, have experienced isolation from your own family. And I know that brings pain every time you celebrate Christmas or holidays. If we packaged and repackaged it, it would still also always come down to some form of suffering. So today I want to ask this question, what are we to do with it? What are we supposed to do with this thing called suffering? And I want to be extra sensitive because I'm just going to acknowledge up front, I thought to this myself as I was thinking this and just talking to the Lord, in that camp of saying, who am I to talk about suffering? I haven't experienced significant suffering. So today you're going to get no cheap answers. 
Uh, it's not going to be a comprehensive study. I actually am hoping to be able to teach some time through the book of 1 Peter, and that's where we're going to be turning today. You guys can turn to there to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, but today is kind of an introduction on suffering. And um, when I say the word suffering, can you put your finger quickly on an issue in your life? If so, I want to encourage you to listen up very clearly today. I want to tackle how to glean the benefit of suffering. Now you hear this, you just heard me right. There is a benefit. And uh, I want to tackle where are we to focus our eyes when we're experiencing suffering? And where are we to go when processing that suffering in relationship to our life? Okay? So we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at two passages today. And again, just a disclaimer, this is not comprehensive. But I want to talk about where are we to focus and then where are we to go to glean the benefit of suffering today and to grow as a believer in Christ. So let me pray before we read. Uh, We're going to start in verse 3. Lord, please teach us today. Lord Jesus, we know that you um, had the title of suffering servant. And so today, as we close out 2019, please, please show us from your word where to turn our attention and our eyes. Um, Lord, I recognize that all of us are either in suffering or we're going to be experiencing suffering uh, one way or another. And so I pray that your word would um, settle into our hearts and that we would have a clear understanding of how to process suffering here today. And I pray that you would just meet uh, someone here today who's come to hear from your word and that your word would minister to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, I'm going to read it, and then we'll unpack it, and I'll give you a little bit of a background to 1 Peter. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I'm going to give you the first thing, just to kind of just pave the way for this First Peter chapter 1, give you the first point in what we're going to be covering, is that suffering is used by God to reveal the current health of your faith. If you need a pen, it's in the bucket in the back, but we're going to see in this text that suffering is used by God to reveal the current health of your faith. It is true that suffering can grow your character. It is true that through suffering, we can bring glory to God. But I want to focus on the fact that suffering reveals the current health of your faith. 
Now, if you glance down in verses 3 through 5, Peter was praising God and rejoicing greatly about some pretty neat things. In verse 3, the believers were received this new birth, or they were born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And I imagine Peter, now picture with me, Peter's the one who denied the Lord just before his crucifixion. And I imagine he dealt with massive loss of hope. And in fact, the book of Mark, when the women went to the tomb at the resurrection, the angel told them, go tell the disciples and Peter. Specifically mentions Peter. And that Christ did not give up on Peter for buckling under pressure. And he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With an exclamation point, he's excited. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. And then going on in verse 4, Peter says that he has received or they have received an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade. That it's kept in heaven and that it's not dependent on their ability to keep it or to do what's right all the time. And in verse 5, he goes on to say that the believers through faith were shielded by God's power until they received that promised salvation at the end of times. Now, why were these promises so special? If you look at verse 1, it tells you who this letter was written to, to these these provinces or these cities. And they were especially special to them about not being able to lose it, and here's why. We know that starting from Nero in the time of Peter, for the first 200 years of the early church, there was a fairly large amount of persecution that that focused in this area. And it wasn't that the Roman Empire was focused on Christians, but that the Roman Empire, from that first 200 years, was trying to declare an allegiance or centrality to its government. And that starting with Nero, going to Pliny the governor... And then even to Emperor Decius, you see that there was a time in the mid-250s where the people were required to sign their allegiance to the Roman government and to offer sacrifices to their gods. So the Christians were not necessarily targeted, but there was a price to pay for being committed to Christ alone. And I was talking to Sid and back, we can sing this song real easily, Christ alone, cornerstone, right? But what if all of a sudden you had to sign saying, I'm committed to the government and that Christ is not the only way. So this is the hope that Peter was talking about, that as people endure persecution, they might be tempted to think that God's not doing something in the middle of their suffering. And in fact, like I said, I'm hoping to preach through 1 Peter sometime. But this is toward the end of 1 Peter, and I want to read it to you. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed For the spirit of God, glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. 
but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So the believers in 1 Peter and in these provinces might be tempted to think that God's not doing something. But Peter's here saying is, don't be surprised at this test. Now tests in school are given to reveal what's in the brain, okay? And uh, in verse 7, look in verse chapter 1, verse 7, we'll see that, the, that what we'll see that their suffering, their hardship and persecution were called tests, and they were here to reveal something. Let's read it. He says this, "These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So according to verse 7, suffering comes to prove or reveal the genuine nature of our faith. Peter is saying that our faith is far more precious than gold. But like gold, it has to go through a heating up, refining process. So the question is this, what is God doing in suffering? He's testing. What's he testing? Our faith. And the text here says prove, and it means to expose the reality of, or shed light upon, or to find. So is he testing our faith so he can find out something he doesn't know? The answer is no. In fact, unlike a school teacher who tests to find out what the student knows, he is testing to reveal what we don't know to ourselves. So instead of focusing on the heat of the test, we're called to focus on what's left of our faith as we experience the suffering. And if our faith is genuine and growing in the middle of suffering, verse 8 will describe us more and more. Check it out. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So you have joy in the middle of suffering, and as your faith is growing, you find yourself loving him more and more, and your faith is because of him, and you're receiving the salvation of your soul. Now we as Christians tend to focus on our pain while in suffering. We tend to be like dogs who lick their wounds and sit and focus on their wounds. And I Our tendency is to just go straight, make a beeline straight to the Lord and say, Lord, please remove this from me. And I want to encourage you to do so. But I want to challenge you to hold off on asking God to remove the suffering until first you glean the benefit of it. And instead of focusing on our pain, believers in Jesus Christ are called to focus on the condition of our faith while in suffering. Suffering has a way of bringing to light 
the reality or the current health condition of our faith. And that I do believe God is not interested in keeping people in baby faith as Christians. He wants to grow our faith. And that most of us, if we were to try to do some self-evaluation about where we're at in our faith, we have a tendency to self-deceive. Most of us actually are terrible about assessing where we're at spiritually. I'm terrible about assessing myself because of this thing called pride that's always so present. And so because we're not good at this whole self-evaluation, God allows suffering. And he uses it to reveal the reality of our faith. So what's suffering telling you? Again, we tend to focus on the suffering itself. But what's the current state of suffering telling you about the condition of your faith? Is suffering turns to blame or pulling away from God or his church or the word of God? It's a pretty bad sign. Is suffering turns to anger? It's a bad sign. And I want to encourage you to be honest where you're at. But don't stop there. If suffering results in a tighter grip, a deeper love of Jesus, that's a very good sign. And you'll see in your outline there, I wrote it in there, but based upon 1 Peter, I do not think that Peter is calling believers in Christ to this bold, audacious faith, naming goals and going out and conquering the world. But I think it's a faith that he's calling them to that relinquishes control to a sovereign God who's good and loving. Now, you don't have to be looking for suffering because on this side of the fall and on this side of heaven, suffering comes looking for you. And then God uses that suffering to expose our spiritual conditions. So this is really just a wake-up call that suffering, when suffering is applied in our normal life, we as Christ followers are to trust God and to go to Scripture. So what's suffering revealing to you? To you? Again, teens or adult children not walking with the Lord, health conditions, struggling marriage. What is suffering revealing to you about the condition of your faith? There's nothing glorious about staying at a struggling faith. It's good to be honest. We're in a culture that says being honest is the ultimate goal. Be honest about it, but don't stay there. So now that you know where your faith is, I want to encourage you, maybe perhaps in the little blank in the bottom of this first point, write in there, what is suffering revealing about your current faith condition? Struggling. Holding on to Jesus. That's good. But what is it revealing to you? And as you process suffering, what do you do or where do you go to interpret this? Maybe some of you have lost a loved one just recently. Where do you go? And I want to warn you not to stay there, but I want to warn you to actually do something about it or go somewhere with the reality of where your faith is. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, was sitting in a prison cell. Suffering for Christ. And he wrote a very dear, precious letter to Timothy, 
whom he had entrusted as a pastor, and he left him behind in Ephesus. And we're going to turn there. It's in Second Timothy chapter 3. And many of us are actually very familiar. If you've been around church long, you're very familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I want to read it. But actually, I'm turning here because I want to actually introduce you to the, verse, the preceding verses that are the context of verses 16 to 17. Again, if you've been around long, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you know that verse, perhaps if you've been around church. But let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy. Again, he's suffering. He's in prison. It says this, But mark this, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people, They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and who are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So he says in verses 1 through 9 that there are going to be terrible times coming down the lane because of the sinfulness of mankind. Don't be surprised. And in verse 5 he says that there will be people or those who look or appear godly, but they're not. And you can tell them by their unwillingness to allow God's word to powerfully penetrate their daily lives and their choices. And he says to avoid and don't follow them. So verses 1 through 9 is a pretty heavy warning to Timothy. There's a lot of evilness and a lot of sinfulness going on in the world. There's a lot of crud. Don't follow it. In verse 10 he picks up, You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life. My purpose, my faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. So in verse 10, Timothy did. He said, you know about it, Timothy. You know all about it. And he followed Paul's teaching and his aim in life. And in verse 11, he continues that the persecution, sufferings with what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
So Paul saw the Lord, you can see this, he saw the Lord as the only one who would rescue him from his suffering. Not even himself. And he makes a bold statement in verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of your translations say, indeed. So he's making the bold statement, obvious, if you want to live a godly life, unlike verses 1 through 9, you're going to experience suffering. Expect it. So what are we to do with it when we're experiencing this suffering? I want to give this to you. It's our second point. That while suffering, the Holy Scriptures are used by God to grow our faith. So I was talking to Nathan uh, this week about this, and he pointed something out to me that I had never thought of, thought of before. He said this, You know, Seth, as I think about it, there's not one New Testament person that followed Christ that was elevated. There's not one New Testament person who followed Christ that was elevated as a result of following Christ. And I think that should ground us to reality that Paul here assumed that it was going to be universal as a universal reality of following Christ. Then why are we surprised when hardship comes as a Christ follower? I would argue it's because we don't know what the word of God says. You're pondering that for a moment. I would argue that we're shocked about hardship in following Christ because we don't know what the word of God says. This week alone, I'm reading in a couple different areas, but I was actually yesterday morning reading with my daughter, Willow. And we were reading about Noah. And we were reading about Noah getting off the ark and God's promise to sustain the world and that he wouldn't flood the world again. And I sat there and I thought about all our school systems and about the whole lane of global warming and how we're going to flood the earth. And, and I thought, the stress people undergo because they just don't know the truth of scripture we forfeit so much joy in the middle of all the things of life because we think circumstances drive our joy but if we knew the word of god it would sustain us in fact what sustains you in verse 14 paul called timothy to rely on the true 1415 the truth of scripture to sustain him in the difficulties of life he says it but as for you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those those from who you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ so paul calls on him and says remember and continue in what you've learned and believed and he calls him to think back on what has come in the brain from the truth of Scripture he's learned from Paul. He's calling him to rely on truth, not feelings, when experiencing the hardship of following Christ. 
We are a very emotional society. He calls on him to fall on truth and lean on it, not on feelings. We must first learn truth to guide our thinking, then we must recall it in times of difficulty. And in verse 15, that truth, he informs him is the holy scriptures or sacred writings, God's word. And I want to encourage you with this as we let the scriptures interpret our painful circumstances. We don't let our painful circumstances interpret scripture. I want to warn you and I want to be very gentle with you here. That oftentimes we go through hardship, then we open God's word, and then we let our hardship interpret scripture. But I want to warn you, as you get into scripture, take your emotions to the Lord, set them here and say, Lord, please let your truth inform how I'm to process this suffering in my life. And then we see that sinful people make it hard to follow Jesus And persecution and hardship is the context for verses 16 and 17. And again, now we'll read it. That all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here we see in verses 16 and 17, the value of God's word is that without a doubt it is God-breathed. And what's it do for those who are experiencing hardship? It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, it trains in righteousness so that God's people will be equipped and complete for every good work. That is, meaning the good work is to live for Christ in the middle of hardship. So in all of life, Paul is emphasizing to Timothy, as a Christian you're going to go through very difficult things. That's the reality of being a Christian. And if we're truly to understand the value and place of Scripture, it would be the first and primary place we would go for peace and comfort in the middle of our suffering. We all need God's Word, but I will tell you this. If you're aware of suffering, if you're aware of hardship, you're aware of struggles going on in your life, the Word of God is absolute. So when suffering enters your life, where do you go? Do you pull away from God's word? Ponder that. Do you pull away from his word? Do you pull away from his church? Do you pull away from prayer? Where do we usually go when we experience difficulty or we're needing training or comforting or information? I call it the Google reflex. We've got a Google reflex. We have so much information in the palm of our hand. I mean, no joke. This morning at 5.55, as I was making an egg for breakfast, I had a thought, I wonder how many calories are in an egg? In like 3.2 seconds, it was clink, 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 78 calories. We have a Google reflex to find information immediately in the palm of our hand. We go to Google, we go to our doctors, we seek advice from friends in the middle of our hardship. 
And I'm calling you guys, if you're experiencing hardship right now, to seek to develop a scripture reflex, not a Google reflex. And if my auto-response is to not go to God's word, there's a gap in your belief about God's word. The growing Christian, Paul is stating here, runs towards God's word to interpret their suffering. The growing Christian runs towards God's word to filter their life experiences through it. So the reason I'm ending 2019 this way is that I want to propose 2020 as a year that you get into God's word to affirm, build, strengthen your faith. If you're seeking other modes or other means to encourage yourself, Apart from the primary source of God's word, you are entering a dead end. I'm just, it's shocking the number of times that people come in the office. They're seeking correction, encouragement, comfort, and they're finding it in all sorts of ways, and they're finding it void. And just opening up scripture, the amount of times people just find comfort, it's amazing. Much of what we do as pastors is that. Uh, those who are suffering, they come in the office, they come to one of us, they're seeking guidance and encouragement. And I'm just going to roll back the curtain. We don't really do much special. You know what we do? We usually just open up the Bible, open a passage that's been there all along, read it together, and the Spirit of God and the Word of God comforts people, and they walk out feeling a whole lot better. And it's something that every one of you have at your disposal all the time, right on your coffee table. And uh, again, it's a joy that we get to do that, but I just wanted to let you know that as believers in Christ, with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you've got all that you need to translate and filter the challenges you're going through. So I want to take a moment, in closing here in a few minutes here, but I want to take a moment and reflect on hardship and suffering uh, the prosperity movement, I just want to just put out a quick disclaimer here. The prosperity movement has uh, actually done great damage to how we as believers in Christ process difficulty and suffering. Uh, the first portion is the American dream. Uh, the right to pursue happiness from circumstances has infiltrated born-again Christians' thinking that somehow our American right to pursue happiness has invaded this idea that we have a right to be happy based on circumstances. Um, another one is teachings from teachers like Joel Olstein and Joyce Meyer, um, who have propagated that basically if you walk in faith, God wants you happy and healthy. And um, that really stems from it's true that joy comes from doing what God wants. And that if you follow biblical principles, they do promote general health. And that as you follow God's ways, you become free or start to become free from the love of money. But Paul and Peter both had something in mind that suffering and hardship are facts of life on this side of the fall and on this side of heaven. And that because of sin in this world and its effects on every corner, believers in Christ 
who love Jesus tremendously were going to experience hardship. And I believe Peter wanted us to understand this. I believe Paul and Timothy wanted us under, with Timothy wanted us to understand this, that God uses suffering for our good and the growth of our faith. So I'm going to leave you with this question, and I'm going to close in prayer. What's your current state of your faith as you reflect on suffering in your life? What's going on in the condition of your faith as you're experiencing the difficulties in your life? Pay attention to the status of your faith. Suffering tells you a lot. It doesn't lie about where you're at spiritually. If you're tending to just hold on to Jesus, Lord, I trust you, and I relinquish all control in my life, that's a really, really good sign, friends. Even if you feel weak, even if you feel like you're not bold in your faith, if you're hanging on to the Lord, you're pressing into his word, you're pressing into the body, it's a really good sign, even if you feel like you're struggling. It's a very dangerous sign that if all of a sudden you're turning and you're getting hard and you're pulling away, where are you growing to grow your faith? So if you're acknowledging my struggles in life are revealing that I've got a struggling faith, where are you going to filter this? Only God's word will do. I want to encourage you this week, read the book of First Peter. It was written to struggling Christians. Again, I know this seems like a really down way to end 2019, but I just want to be honest and real again. Our, the majority of you are going through this. So I want to encourage you to get into God's Word, get into 1 Peter, and I want you to know your pastors care very deeply about what you all are going through. We pray a lot for you. You guys often come to our minds and we talk and we gossip to the Lord about you. We pray on your behalf, and uh, we want you to know that we're praying not just for your physical healing or your family healing or financial well-being, but we're praying for the growth of your faith. And so as we close out 2019, I invite you, go to the Lord for deliverance in those areas. Ask him for those things. But first ask the Lord What's it revealing about my faith? Be honest about it. And then maybe perhaps while you're making those New Year's resolutions, ask the Lord, where would you lead me in 2020 in your word? Help me to grow in confidence in your word. Help me to place my hope in your word. And as Paul told Timothy, all scripture is useful for training. It's useful for us while we're going through the difficulties and sufferings. God cares, friends, but he cares more about the growth of our faith. So let's keep that in mind as we enter 2020, whatever the Lord brings us in this new year. Let's pray, and then Sid will come up and share some announcements with us. Lord, we recognize that you care. Lord, we know that uh, you care because we just celebrated Emmanuel, God with us, coming to our world to live our lives Live as a human without sin. And so this week, we declare, thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming to us. Lord, we recognize that um, no one on this, this side of the fall and on this side of heaven is exempt from suffering and difficulty. 
And so, Lord, our hearts gently put our palms up and say, Lord, we trust you. Help us to be a church family marked by trust, relinquishing control, looking to you, resting in your word, and having a calm peace that tells the world around us that there is a God who cares and that he's bringing glory to himself through this church. I pray that we would be a faithful church in 2020 to your word and to allow the process of suffering to reveal where we're at in our faith. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.